his word works. You know, that people can make fun of it, they can disparage it, they can um, criticize it. It doesn't make any difference to me because I've read it, I've lived it, and, I'm, and it works. You know, God keeps his word. So whether I'm optimistic or pessimistic, my faith is not anchored in my personality or in my feelings or in circumstances. My faith is anchored in the word of God. Well, today I'm honored to welcome Anne Graham Lotz to Candid. She has been called the best preacher in the family by her father, the late Billy Graham. She speaks with wisdom and authority of years spent studying God's Word, and her aim is clear, to call people into a personal relationship with God through His Word. The New York Times named Anne one of the five most influential evangelists of her generation. Anne is a best-selling and award-winning author and travels around the globe preaching the gospel. Her most recent book release is Jesus in Me, Experiencing the Holy Spirit as a Constant Companion. She is the founder and president of Angel Ministries. Anne and her late husband, Danny Lotz, have three grown children and three grandchildren. And welcome to Candid Conversations. Thank you so much for joining us today. Jonathan, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, we're blessed to have you. You know, and as the son of a recognized radio and television preacher, I'm asked often what it's like to be the son of Michael Youssef. You have an even larger shadow in your father, Billy Graham. So let me ask you, what is it like to grow up as the daughter of Billy Graham? You know, I'd like to hear your answer, but um, <laughs> I don't have anything to compare it with, Jonathan. You know, so uh, I will tell you this. I was raised pretty much by a single parent because my father traveled. It's estimated 60% of my growing up years. Um, I had a wonderful home. Um, my mother was very strong. And the first part of my life, uh, we lived right across the street from her parents, my grandparents, and they also helped to raise me. They were former missionaries to China. My grandfather was a medical surgeon, and so my when I look back, you know, Daddy wasn't there uh, for a lot of it, but when he was there, uh, Mother majored on his comings. You know, she sort of ignored his goings, and she majored on his comings, and mm. I didn't know anything different, mm. and it wasn't until I got married and had children and saw the way my husband fathered our children, I realized what I'd missed, mm. you know, but I, but I didn't. I didn't know what it was to, to miss it. So I'm very thankful that I was raised in a Christ-centered home because the atmosphere that they provided led me as a young girl, and I can't remember um, the year. I remember the day. It was a good Friday, and I was watching a picture of Jesus on television, and I was very convicted of my sin, and I knelt down and asked God to forgive me. I believe Jesus had died for me, and I asked him uh, to cleansed me with the blood of Jesus, and I opened up my heart and invited Jesus to come in. And and I believe he did. I believe that day I was born again into God's family because I know, you know, God doesn't have any grandchildren. And just because I'm Billy Graham's daughter doesn't mean I was a child of God. So I, I made that commitment, and I believe I was born again, but I did not know anything about the Holy Spirit at that stage. And so that, you know, it, it began my my personal relationship with Jesus, and Jesus understood when I invited him to come into my heart what I was asking. I love your answer, though. I, I, I think similarly in terms of I don't know how to answer the question because uh, I don't know what it's like to have had uh, someone else as a father. Um, 
it's a beautiful response. You know, in thinking about ministry and the things that have been given to us, I wonder if you ever felt the pressure or the expectation to be in ministry. Never. Never. I don't even know how to answer that. Never. And um, I went into ministry uh, (laughs) in a sort of a selfish motivation. I had three children, and they were little, five, three, and ten months old, and I wasn't a very good mother. I was just tired, frustrated, uh, losing my temper. And I thought back on my mother. She had five of us, and some of us were really hard to handle, like Franklin. And I never saw my mother lose her temper. And I knew she drew her strength from Bible reading and prayer, um, but I didn't have the discipline to do it. You know, I just, I couldn't do it. And, and somebody told me about Bible study fellowship. And when they described it, I thought that's what would get me into God's word. That's what would help me be the mother I want to be. So I won't go into the details, but anyway, I started Bible study fellowship in our city because I wanted to be in it. Nobody else would start it. So I, I decided to do it. And I had Never taught anything before in my life, not even Sunday school. My children didn't listen to me, you know. But but uh, anyway, that that's the way I got into ministry outside my home was mm-hmm. because I felt the desperate need to know the scriptures. And the only way I knew to go about it, because it's, I'm sorry, Jonathan, but it's not taught in churches, you know. And so, or at least not around here. And you study denominational material and you sort of know Sunday school stories, but not really in-depth Bible study. And so I, I was very hungry for that. So I I started that class and I taught it for 12 years. I had 500 women who showed up and we turned it over several times. So thousands of women went through my class. I never missed a class. It was every week. I never missed a class because I wanted um, everything God had for me. You know, I had a real hunger and thirst to know the scriptures. And somewhere in that process, I became a better mother. I, I never have been the kind of mother my mother was. We just had different makeup, but I know I'm a lot better mother because I was in that class and studying the scriptures and growing spiritually as a result. And, you know, God has given you uh, an incredible ministry. Uh, But if someone were to ask you what your primary calling was, what would you say to them? Well, my primary calling, of course, is to bring God glory. And then specifically under that, and to bring God glory, I mean to reveal him in such a way by the way I live and act and um, interact with others that people see Jesus in me and want to know him for themselves. And so that he's, um, he's reflected in my life. And so that's the primary purpose and, you know, of all of us actually. And then underneath that, the specific calling of course would have to be a wife to my husband and a mother to my three children, grandmother to my grandchildren. And then outside the home, you know, focusing further down, I'm, I feel very called, um, and I can, you know, I have scripture to support it, the way he called me personally, um, was to to give out God's word in such a way that people would know God through the word, that when I speak, after a while they wouldn't hear Anne speaking anymore, they would be aware that God was speaking to their hearts and that they would be drawn to him. They would want to know him, open their Bibles and spend time listening for him to speak to them and um just, I guess, revival, you can call it just an awakening, just waking up believers in their relationship with God. So um, the, the year I left Bible Study Fellowship, I started a nonprofit ministry because I didn't want people to think I'd left my class to make money off of what I'd learned to do. And so uh, I never have charged for anything. 
Our ministry is supported through donations and through uh, the sale of my books and CDs and videos and, and things like that. Since that um, first year, we have broken even on everything. Even when I was doing Just Give Me Jesus revivals, when which we held in large arenas around the world, I never charged for the revival. I never asked for money. Uh, the local committee would raise money for their own city, but I never, you know, and God has just supplied the needs. And I, I feel like it's an adventure. If God has called me to something, then I believe he's going to undergird it and he'll supply the needs. And so, so my personal goal, Jonathan, my personal, not just ministry, I want to know God and I want to know him better today than I do um, the yesterday, better tomorrow than I do today. And it's a journey, you know, and it requires stepping out in obedience by faith when circumstances might dictate otherwise it was like stepping out of the boat like peter when he walked on the water you know and but it's it's a thrilling adventure to see what god can do in and through us if we'll just make ourselves available so so ministry to me i'm not in ministry for ministry's sake at all if um this past year god set me aside from ministry i was perfectly fine to be aside from ministry people said how much i wanted to get back to preaching and i didn't you know i was so glad to be home but uh I want to be where God wants me to be, and I want to get to know him right where I am. So this past year, you know, going through this cancer journey, I've just seen him work in amazing ways. So I feel like I have grown spiritually because he set me aside for ministry. And now he's put me back in, put me back on platforms, and I'm uh, actually too busy at the moment. But and, And that's a joy because he has given me strength for everything um, that he's called me to do. I just have to be careful that I don't step outside his calling, you know, but I, but my aim is in the midst of the running around, the speaking, I, I want to know him. I want to know how sufficient he can be when I'm standing in front of your 1800 women at Church of the Apostles. You know, I want to know how sufficient he can be when I'm in front of a television camera on a national secular TV program and have three minutes to state my case. You know, I want to know um, his comfort when uh, I reflect on my husband and my father and my mother and um, other loved ones who've gone on to glory. And, and so, I, you know, life is just a journey, an adventure, really for me, of getting to know God in all of his fullness. And there's so many facets to his character. You know, it'll take eternity for us to even know him somewhat fully. You know, now we just see in part uh, because we see by faith but one day we'll we'll know him even as we're known and i love that that you, you you led with um it's about your pursuit of him because for those of us who are in any kind of leadership position we have to be pursuing him to point others to him we're not blind leading blind but we we're aware of who it is that we follow and then we can point the way to Christ with a better, clearer picture of ourselves. And I think that's a... Uh, yeah, I think that should be true, Jonathan. I'm not sure it always is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you've you've just alluded to it um, a little bit in the last question. Um, but for some of our listeners who don't know your full story, you have been through this really challenging period of life over the last few years, losing... Um, two very close people to you and dealing with cancer. And so, you know, my question to you would be, how has your view of God changed in this season? And it hasn't changed because my view of God is rooted in the scripture. But what has happened is that it's, it's been deepened and it's been enriched. And 
after my husband went to heaven about four years ago, um, I just had on my heart to write a book on the Holy Spirit. And so I, I did, and I turned in the manuscript um, last uh, May, I think it was. I had two trips to Israel last summer, and so I had to, and this is summer a year ago, I, I needed to get that manuscript in. When I came back from my second trip to Israel, um at a doctor's appointment, and that's when I was diagnosed. And then um, after dealing with the surgery and starting with some of the treatments that I had to, during my treatments is when I did the rewriting and the editing of that book. But the blessing was that God's timing was such that my focus, when I could get my head up off the pillow and um, do the work I needed to, my focus was on Jesus in me and the person of the Holy Spirit. And so my understanding of the Holy Spirit, as I wrote it out for others, it, it was a blessing to me because, um, to be honest, you know, after my husband left four years ago and three years later, my father went to glory and then I was diagnosed with this breast cancer, uh, I felt loneliness knocking at my door, you know, and I wanted to go to my husband and ask him, you know, what treatment should I have? What doctor should I go to? You know, and wanted to run to my father and, and say, you know, Daddy, can you fix me up with your doctors at Mayo's and just help me sort through this? And, and um, I didn't have anybody like that, but I had the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit led me step by step. And, and that loneliness never entered in. I never spiraled down into depression. I never spiraled down in, into that um, that some people go through just uh, where they almost can't climb out of it. And they're just so lonely. They, they're in tears. They curl up in a fetal position. I never had that. And it was because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. He he made himself known to me in a very precious way. And I've, I've written in this book, Jesus and Me, tried to, to write my experience of his constant companionship. Because if I can know him as a constant companion, anybody who receives Jesus by faith can also know him in that way. And, and he's God's antidote to loneliness. So it's been a very, um, it's a different part of my my journey, you know, a different um, aspect, but I actually felt when I was diagnosed with cancer that God had given me a new ministry assignment, and I um, had my treatments and, you know, everything at a big teaching hospital, and so there are long lines for every appointment and, you know, waiting rooms filled with miserable, suffering people, and God gave me opportunity after opportunity to pray with people, to encourage people, to share the gospel with doctors and nurses, and so, you know, even the even the journey through cancer, chemo, radiation, all that kind of stuff was, was a it was a it was a blessing. I'll, I'll look back. I don't remember the pain, the suffering, the grief. You know, what I remember are the blessings that God has given me. So so I wouldn't say my perspective on God has changed at all. It's just become deeper, if that's possible, richer, um, sweeter. And um, I mean, I've known him in some really hard times. And uh, and he has come through just as he said he would. You know, I've heard you say um, that you called cancer a win-win. Is is that what you're talking about? Those those relational opportunities that have opened from that? No, the the win-win is more. Um, you know, Philippians when it says, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." And so uh, I had to let go of life, which I feel like I have anyway. But um, that when I was faced with cancer, that's a life-threatening disease. 
And I was willing to go, you know, so that if the Lord, if it was time for me to go to heaven, I wanted to go because my husband is there my parents are there. My grandparents, people I love, you know, already preceded me and I'm, I'm ready to go home. But if I stay here, then I want to live for Christ. And the very next verse says that if I remain here, then it's for more fruitful labor. So the win-win is that if I, if I die, I go to heaven to be with Jesus and my loved ones. The, the other side of that is I win if I stay here because then I have more fruitful labor. And I'm one of those people, Jonathan, that wants an abundant entrance into heaven. I want everything God has for me. I want a fullness of fruit. So if he's left me here, it's because uh, I haven't finished his purpose and he has more fruit for me to bear and um, more service to render. I know you have a biblical perspective on life, but I, I do wonder, are you are you naturally a pessimistic person or an optimistic person? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't know. You know, I don't go in for all those tests and stuff. Uh, um, I, I feel like I just, I don't, you know, I can't answer that. I don't know. Sure. I don't know what I'm, you know, you, you live for the Lord so long that what you are naturally seems to get buried in the supernatural. And Absolutely. so... Well, and that's what I was thinking in in terms of, you know, my next question is really along the lines of, um, you know, someone that is dealing with a great difficulty, for example, if they're going through cancer, uh, they've received some bad news, um, what would be some of the advice you would give them? Because I was thinking whether you're a pessimistic person or a optimistic person, you know, you've given us a picture of having a gospel framework to your life, and that seems to be where all of that is coming from. And so, you know, what would be some of your advice to a person that's, you know, just been dealt some bad news like that? Well, number one, I would tell them to make sure they have established a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus, not to assume they have because they're a member of a church or go to a Bible study or whatever, but that they have come to that point in time that they have confessed their sin, told God they're willing to repent or turn away from their sin, and claim Jesus as their Savior. In other words, God's sacrifice for their sin, and ask Him to forgive them and open up their heart and invite Him to come in. So you, the first thing you need to do is to make sure that you belong to Him um, from His perspective, because you've placed your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. The second thing, and I, I probably most of people listening would fall into that category, but then you need to make sure that you develop that relationship. And so when you first come to Christ and you're saved, that's just the first step. And then the rest of your life is spent developing that relationship so that you grow in faith and you grow in your personal relationship with him. It's like a very much like a marriage relationship. You know, when I married Danny Lotz, I, I loved him so much that I was willing to marry him. But 50 years later, I realized when I first married him, I didn't know him at all. You know, And, and you develop that relationship over time and ups and downs and, um, you know, all of that. And, and the same thing is true with the Lord. When we're saved, when we marry him, in a sense, make that commitment at the altar of the cross, then that's the first step. And then every day we want to develop that relationship. And the way you do that, Jonathan, as you would know, every day you spend time. Uh, praying, talking to him, reading your Bible, listening for him to speak to you, applying it to your life, living it out so that you obey what he says to you in the Bible. And then you you find out increasingly that his word works, you know, that people can make fun of it. They can disparage it. They can um, criticize it. It doesn't make any difference to me because I've read it. I've lived it and, I'm, and it works. You know, God keeps his word. So whether I'm optimistic or pessimistic, my faith is 
not anchored in my personality or in my feelings or in circumstances. My faith is anchored in the word of God. And and God is a, a God of his word. He keeps his word. He's trustworthy. You can take him at his word. And I think many times we know the word and we can quote it. And it's sort of like a inspiring thing or a warm feeling or a sentiment. But, but we don't actually take it and live it out and live by it. And uh, when you do that, then you're putting God up. Malachi says you put him to the test. You know, you prove him. And he allows us to do that, to hold him to his word and to prove him that he will keep his word and come through for us. Maybe not the way we've asked or when we ask or how we ask, but he will come through. And as you do that in your life every day, um, then you develop such a strong personal relationship that when something like happens, whether, you know, I found my husband unresponsive in the pool or my father went to heaven and or my cancer diagnosis, when that happens, you almost take it in stride because you know God's in control. He's seated on the throne. It didn't catch him by surprise. This is part of his plan and purpose for my life. And so then I want to say, all right, God, how can I cooperate with you in this? You know, what is it that you want me to do? Uh, You know, how does this fit in with, you know, the overall scheme of things? In other words, I'm not insisting that God come my way. I'm not insisting that he follow my plan for my life. I've I've given all that up and just want what he wants more than what I want. And it's a very freeing thing, actually, because I know he wants what's best for me. He wants me to experience the fullness of his blessing, to have joy, peace. And and not once through all of this have I lost my peace or my joy. Doesn't mean I haven't wept. Doesn't mean I haven't asked the Lord for release from pain and suffering. But um but the, the deep down peace and joy and the awareness, uh, awareness of blessing has, has not left in all this time. You've mentioned a few times your, your new book, Jesus and Me, and I, I know you are writing it, uh, obviously a book helping explain who the Holy Spirit is. I know you wrote it at a difficult time. Was that what prompted you to write it, or was it you felt like there was a lack of uh, knowledge and understanding of who he is uh, in the Godhead? I, I think both, but I started it after my husband went to heaven, but I, um, the books I've written, this is my 17th, I think, they all come out of my own uh, journey. So I never write what I think people need to hear or read. I always write what I need to hear and read. <laughs> you know? It's, a, it's a, my personal comes out of my personal walk with the Lord. And so this is just where he had me after my husband went to heaven. And and I believe he had me focusing on the Holy Spirit for my own benefit and blessing. But also he knew that there would be a lot of people out there who would also need to know the Holy Spirit um, in the way that Jesus described him. Jesus said, you know, I'm not going to leave you as orphans because now I, actually I'm a widow and I'm also an orphan. And um, But he said he wouldn't leave us like that. He would come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, you know, it's better for you if I go away, because if I go away, then I'll send down the Holy Spirit to you. And and that just sort of stopped me because, you know, what could be better than having Jesus visibly present with us? And uh, actually, what's better is to have Jesus in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. So that's, you know, if Jesus were with me, if I left the room and he stayed here, then I'd be separated from him. But when he lives in me, if I leave the room, he leaves in me. You know, so I'm, he's with me 24-7, my constant companion. So when we wrap our hearts and minds around who the Holy Spirit is, 
and this isn't a the book isn't a theological paper. It's not um, you know doctrinal statement. It's just my experience of the constant companionship of the Holy Spirit. It's very personal. It's like a memoir, and I know if he's been all these things to me that I write in this book, and it's based on John chapter sixteen, so it's biblical. But but I, I just know he can be that for others also. You know, and I know that that theme that we're picking up on is kind of hovering around that loneliness theme. And I know that you have dedicated the book to the lonely. Why? Who would you describe are the lonely out there? And why dedicate this book to them? Uh, Well, again, the lonely was me. You know, so I dedicated it to myself, except that I wasn't lonely. But I I knew I could be. (laughs) And I knew what it was like to be a widow and then an orphan and then faced with cancer and go through all of that and have no one, um, you know, in my life to turn to. I have my children, of course, but um, but I, I wanted a husband and I wanted a father, and but I had the Holy Spirit. And so it was to me, and then thinking if I could possibly be a lonely person, and I, I'm not, and I, I want to make that clear, the Holy Spirit has filled in that void, but I'm assuming that there are other people out there that are lonely. And if you don't really know the Holy Spirit, if you're not really um, walking in the Spirit, if you're not involved in growing in your personal relationship with God, then I can tell you, you're going to have lonely times. And um, even if you're saved. And then it was after I dedicated to the lonely, I came across the statistic that 22% of adult Americans are so desperately lonely, they have suicidal thoughts. And they, they say that loneliness is an epidemic among millennials because they live in this virtual world, you know, and the suicide rate is so high. And and so um, I feel like the Holy Spirit is God's antidote to loneliness. We just need to know who he is and we need to surrender our lives to him. Let him fill our lives. And we're so afraid to surrender to him for fear. He'll ask us to do something we don't want or embarrass us or and actually it's when we surrender to him and let him take over every part of our lives, that we have the fullness of blessing, the fullness of joy. And I think, in my experience, his purpose for my life has been much greater than anything I could have come up with on my own. If I had insisted on getting what I want, and I tried to live my life the way I wanted, it would be a lot smaller and a lot less than what God wanted for me. And thinking on that, is, is that is that your hope for what your readers take away from that book, that, that fullness that Christ offers my prayer for readers is that they will fall in love with Jesus in a fresh way, that they will come to know him in a way that they've never considered before as the one who lives in them in the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God has not invited us, Jonathan, into a denomination or a religion or tradition or even to a church. You know, He's invited us into a personal relationship, and you can't get more personal than Jesus in me. And I mean, that's intimate. And so I I want people who read it to um, wrap their hearts and minds around the one who is Jesus in them, the hope of glory, Colossians says. You know, it's a mystery, actually, but it's it's a supernatural thing that happens when you invite Jesus to come into your life. He comes in in the person of the Holy Spirit and will never leave you, never forsake you. And I, I want people to get to know the Holy Spirit in such a way that they surrender to him and just let him, um, in, in that process, fill them with his love, his joy, his peace, his goodness, his kindness, all the things we think of as the 
fruit or the characteristics of Jesus until they themselves become a reflection of Jesus and other people can look at them and see Jesus in them. And I know you're you're uh, we've obviously mentioned it before, but you're you're a mother, you're a grandmother. As you look at the next generation, what do you think will be their greatest challenge? Um, you know, I, I don't think I can project because um, I will just say I think the the biggest challenge, the biggest problem in our world today is sin, and maybe the biggest challenge is the one we've always faced, and that's um, dealing with the sin in our lives by confessing it, coming to the cross, uh, crucifying it, putting it away, and not falling into the temptation. Um, Our culture is so morally and spiritually filthy that you have to make a huge effort to uh, maintain your focus and to maintain um, a holy lifestyle. And Um, you know, without holiness, the Bible says you can't see the Lord. So you may be saved, but you're you're going to lack in your personal relationship with him. So I think the challenge has always been um, sinners, you know, overcoming through the power of the cross, the sin in their lives and living as the saints that God's called them to be. Hmm. So um, it's, it's getting harder in some ways. I'm not sure it's harder than it was in the first century or the Middle Ages or whatever, but I think social media and um, some of the pressures that are out there make it harder on these young people. And I also believe we're living at the very end of the age. I believe Jesus is soon to come back, and I think the enemy knows his time is short. And so he's unleashed his demonic forces against Christians and especially uh, leaders of Christians and the families of leaders. So um, this isn't a time for the faint-hearted. You know, it's a time for us to know who we are, what we believe, and to be sold out as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. Hmm. I think I know what you're going to answer me on this next one, but are you hopeful for the future? Absolutely, because I know the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> I know Jesus is coming, you know. I know he's someday the trumpet is going to sound and he's going to catch me up in the air to be with him and I'm going to go to glory and uh, and that will be heaven, to be with Jesus. And uh, he also says he will take us up, at least in the Old Testament, he took the saints home to be with their families, you know. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him. And if I can take my eyes off of him ever, then I'll, I can't wait to see my family members who are already there. So I... I have great hope. In thinking of the the next generation, the younger generation, I, I wonder what message would you most want to communicate to them? In one word, Jesus. I want them to know him. I want them to know um, he's calling people to be disciples, not snowflake kind of Christians who try to press him into their mold, but young people who will will come out and be counted and who will serve him whatever the cost, who will know him, who will read their Bibles and live by their Bibles and love their Bibles and help other people understand their Bibles and put their faith deep down in their Bibles. And, um, you know, it's, it's time, it's time for us to um, really know our God and to make him known. So, my prayer is that the next generation will be sprinkled with young men and young women who truly choose to be disciples, whatever the cost is, and live for him in such a way that they impact their generation. Pointing people to Christ 
beautiful picture. Anne Graham Lotz, author of Jesus in Me, Experiencing the Holy Spirit as a Constant Companion. And I cannot thank you enough for taking the time and your busy schedule to come and talk with us today. Well, it's been a joy, Jonathan. Thank you, and God bless you, and give my greetings to your parents. I will do it. Thank you, Anne. God bless. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you like today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit ltw.org candid to connect with these pages, share your questions with me, and get this week's free download. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Thanks for listening.